Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today, I have two sisters and friends. We have our good friend and sister in Christ, uh, Doreen Virtue, with us. And we have our other friend and sister in Christ, uh, Don Hill, with us today. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Great to be with you both. Thank you. Well, John, you uh, you have this uh, helpful book that you've written. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it? Nonprofit Woke, the Reformation of a Modern Day Disciple. Uh, tell us uh, why you wrote it. And, you know, it's been out just a little bit. So tell us, you know, how it's been received so far. Okay. Well, thanks for having me back on, Dave. Um, I wrote this book. I self-published it and wrote it. Uh, at the end, I wrote at the end of 2019 and I published it, released it at the beginning of 2020. Um, it's pretty raw. <laughs> uh, and I did it from a third person perspective. Um, so there's been more growth as I've over the past several years from then. Um, but really, it was to take an approach. And I felt the most comfortable writing it in as a, as a third person to try to convey what had happened. Um, and trying to really process and work through what had happened um, from the time that we started asking questions that my husband and I posed questions to local leadership to when we were called into meetings or I was called into meetings to being sat down to giving being given the ultimatum to leaving the church. And then from there, trying to pick up the pieces, figure out what happened, processing things. And as when I talk about in this book, I talk about different things that really stood out to me as I started reflecting on what had happened um, and the spiritual abuse that took place um, that really wasn't I wasn't aware of until after coming out of it because I was in such mass deception. Um, a lot of the things that went on, um, the, the beliefs that that were there, the biblical illiteracy, um, just a lot of the deceptive things and trying to address as best as I could um, at that time what what had happened and trying to help others. I mean, the main goal was to try to produce that book so that I, I could try to help others. And it's actually been received pretty well. I mean, by people that have read it. Um, I've had numerous women reach out to me and they'll say, I read it. It was really helpful. It helped me to process what I was going through. It was spot on. There were things I could relate to in it. Um, so it's serving its purpose um, I, in, in helping others. And, and that's the goal of it. But it was also it was also helpful to me, I guess. It, was help, it helped me to process a lot of the things that I went through to try to get out of it. And I, and I use words in there that looking back, I think, I don't know if I'd use that particular term now, but I know with deconstructing, I know that that has a particular meaning to it in progressive movement, but there was a deconstruction that took place in me because I'm no longer that, that person that existed that used to believe I was a prophet is gone. That person's dead and gone. And and not coming back now to have a, a proper biblical understanding and growing more 
in understanding God's word and understanding his grace and mercy that was extended to me in the, in the gross error. And I think about that almost daily, um, the, the gross sin and error that I committed and not in a wallowing way. It's a, it's a very thankful way of thanking God for his mercy. He extended his mercy to me. He didn't have to, but he did. Um, and so I, um, spend my time now trying to help others, especially women that are coming out of this and to, and to point them back to the truth of the word and of the gospel. Well, I mean, I've been encouraged and following you on, on Facebook and, and uh, Instagram by, you know, you're, you're doing that. And it's so encouraging and wonderful to see. So I'm really thankful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. God gets all the glory for it. He uses all the 18 years I spent on all of this. I know Dorian will attest to her. I've heard her testimony talk about that too. What we think has been wasted time, God uses it for his glory. And so I'm thankful for that. Yeah. You were, you were just talking a little bit about, you know, uh, spiritual abuse. Um, What are some signs of someone who is experiencing spiritual abuse in the New Apostolic Reformation? Well, some of the things I've observed, and obviously I'm not a psychiatrist by any means, um, but just some of the things I've observed um, and I've heard from others that have come out of this, very similar stories, um, the twisting of scripture, and it really is an abusive way to to try to um, overlord someone or try to exert control over them. Um, I remember the the letter that I have, I still have it, but the letter that I received when I had the 30 day decision I had to make to, in order to be reinstated back under the apostles ministerial, ministerial umbrella of authority, I was given about a two and a half page list of scriptures about rebellion in addition to that letter that was attached to it. And what was interesting was, is that the scriptures that were noted in context, the verses were in rebellion to God, not to the apostle. So uh, there's a lot of manipulation of the scripture that takes place, a lot of twisting of it in order to um, to manipulate and to control people when there's no allowance for questions. And I, and I know I mentioned this last time when we talked, Dave, but I, I really didn't ask any theological questions, it, but the questioning itself was problematic because it essentially was testing and questioning the authority of that apostle in my situation. So and when questions are not allowed, that should be a huge red flag that there is spiritual abuse taking place. And then gaslighting, you know, I'm basically saying I'm not the problem. You know, you're the one with the problem. The leader will say you're twisting it back on you to make it seem like you're the one that has the issue that what you're trying to point out is not really a problem. Loyalty, demanding loyalty um, at all costs, keeping tabs on people in, in a way that you can't even even posting things on social media. I mean, that was another example that of you can't post things without getting in trouble because you're sharing something of someone else's. Or I, I knew people that got in trouble because they went to other people's services and they got caught online doing it. And it was not for, it was not a big deal, but they got reamed for it because they were not showing loyalty to the apostle. Telling people that God allows them as prophets to hear private conversations. That was one thing I talked about in the book that I remember hearing Jennifer LeClaire. I heard her with my own ears at a meeting that I was at to minister alongside her and two other ministers. Um, This was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, several years ago. I walked in when she was teaching at a breakout service or breakout uh, meeting. And she said to people, she was teaching on Elisha, uh, you know, uh, hearing the, the king's private conversations. And they will utilize 2 Kings 6 to teach 
well, you better be careful um, that you're not speaking against man or woman of God because prophet, the prophets today can actually hear what you're saying in private conversations. We know your text messages. We, we see your emails. That's abusive because what essentially happens in all those different examples, and I'm sure I'm missing others, but you're trying to control people to where they don't ask questions. They're afraid of you. Um, you shut down critical thinking. You shut down biblical discernment and then you just create an echo chamber and then you create little minions to follow you. And they don't they don't challenge you when scripture tells us that we are to question and to test everything. And there's a right way and wrong way to do it. Um, And we can do it in a way that we're respectful and gentle and patient with one another. But these these people in this type of they're not interested in that. They are interested in loyalty to a fault. They're interested in your full submission. And if you can't do that, then they're done with you. And, and it's abusive. I mean, and there's stuff that happened that was far worse. People just being completely run over and and, contra- and controlled and manipulated. Um, but those, those are some of the things I think of when I think about spiritual abuse with with regards to this movement. It's it well spiritual. Spiritual abuse happens not only, you know, in the NAR. It happens right. in the church. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have I, I'm just saying I personally have experienced it. Um, with you know pa- other pastors and and things and you know that's not the point of this episode to get into all that but you know I'm just saying it's not only an issue from that experience that you had in the NAR it's an experience that I personally have experienced as a Christian right. for over 30 years so you know it's it's tragic it hurts and it's and it's hard it's hard to work through yeah. it really is so what can those who are experiencing spiritual abuse in the NAR what what can they do well when they start recognizing what it is i think one of the things is is to not be fearful um of asking questions and and that is something that's ingrained in you that you almost are fearful because you don't want to touch God's anointed. You don't want to um, do something that you think is irreverent towards God. There's a lot of, again, brainwashing or manipulation that goes into some of the teachings. And I would say, first and foremost, if you have questions, you should be able to go to your leaders and ask questions. Um, if if that's not possible, then if you're in a, a church where all these you, you're not being taught biblically what the scripture says and you're starting to recognize these red flags, you need to be able to go to the leadership first and talk to them without being fearful and saying, you know, in a, in a gentle way approach, trying to say, well, help me understand, for example, why what you're ministering isn't working or doesn't agree with scripture. If they're not able to go to the to the leadership, then they need to leave. <laughs> I mean, uh, and they need to find a biblically sound church. And that's one of the things I tell women that I talk to when they're coming out. Some are really wanting to avoid going to church. And I understand that fear. But at the same time, it's so important that we be in a local gathering of of a church, um, that we are being fed by a, a shepherd that's wanting to lead us back to the truth of the word of God, to be around other believers, to be encouraged. So I would encourage them to find a biblically sound church, not isolate themselves, um, not be an island to themselves in their own understanding, but they need that fellowship and they need to be in a biblically sound church and they need to get back in the word of God. Um, I would bet money, if I was a betting person, I would bet money that a lot of people in this particular movement are highly biblically illiterate. Um, And I say that just because I was, and I didn't think I was. 
But getting back in the word, finding a biblically sound church and learning how to heal, if that means you have to go see a counselor, um, a Christian counselor, trying to work through some things, um, talk about these things in a healthy way, get the assistance that you need so that you can grow um, in, in a proper way. Is that because uh, the biblical literacy, is that because what I've heard from other people around here is they, they in the NAR, they just focus more on, you know, reading books rather than reading the Bible, like reading the books from the latest teacher and those kind of things. Yeah, a lot of the books, especially when you go to these conferences and gatherings, you'll usually see a stack of books they take up with them to the platform and they'll spend several minutes talking about their books and promoting them. Um, but a lot of times the the scripture is just plucked out of context and it's used in order to suit their their teachings. And I will say this, there was one particular instance in the few months when we were still at the church, when all that stuff happened in my situation, um, Ryan actually uh, made it mandatory that the the some of the churches that were under his apostolic network, because it's something I haven't talked a lot about, but he made them teach from one of his books for like four weeks for Sunday services. And scripture was incorporated, but they had to utilize his specific, a specific book he had just written to teach from another area of manipulation and spiritual abuse. But uh, when it, yes, a lot of it is focusing, a lot of it is focusing on that person's writing and their teaching and then pulling scripture out of context and, and, and isogeting it or narcissizing it and, and putting a spin on it that's not biblical. And then, um, people don't question it because they they love these people so much and they revere them that they immediately think, well, they're anointed. Why they couldn't be telling me something that's wrong? And then they're just sitting there gleaning off this person, and they're not taking that due diligence, that time in their private time daily to spend time in the Word and to make sure that what they're being taught is is truly um, representative of what Scripture says. Really well said. You know, one of the one of the things that I'm seeing as I'm speaking out against this is there's this idea that those who are highly educated, all three of us in this chat are very highly educated individuals. But I'm I'm seeing that a lot of people are saying, you know, you're unspiritual, you know, you're not filled with the spirit. So how should biblically minded and biblically rooted Christians respond to those in the NAR? Um, who treat people like all, all three of us who are highly educated as unspiritual or not filled with the Spirit. Yeah, I get that a lot. I'm called a Pharisee probably daily, and that I don't understand because I go to a spiritually dead church, and that I'm a, a bibliophile. <laughs> I'm addicted to the Bible instead of the Holy Spirit. And they don't even call it the Holy Spirit. They call it Holy Spirit. It's kind of a little indicator that we've got someone who's probably charismatic. So one of the things that um, that we have to keep pointing to is scripture. And I think having also, like Don, been in spiritually abusive churches, um, I was raised in Christian science, which was so legalistic, KJV only, and uh, all these rules, and twisting scripture, like you couldn't even recognize it. So I, I completely relate to what you're saying, Don. But I think the biggest spiritual abuse is not sharing the gospel, especially if they know it. Um, Michael and I were members of a church where we were in a Bible study with the pastor. He was a student. There was a kind of an elder leading it. And this pastor, we were studying what was going to be that week's 
lesson passage. And we were studying the parable of the dragnet. You you remember when Jesus talked about sorting the two types of fishes, kind of like the goats and the sheep and the tares. The elder was talking about the meaning of this parable, that it was the sorting of who's going to the lake of fire and who's going to heaven. And the pastor said, oh, I can't say that at church because people will leave. And I was horrified. I said to him, they need to hear the gospel. They they don't need to sugarcoat it. I grew up with that. And it, it, that's why I wasn't saved. And he said, oh, no, I have to, I have to just minimize this because we don't want people leaving the church. And so Michael and I attended that sermon that Sunday. And sure enough, what he did was he gave the parable of the dragnet and he said to the congregation, I have no idea what this means. He lied and we left the church. And that's abusive because people need to hear the gospel. Who knows who was sitting in that church who was going to die the next day? And maybe didn't hear the gospel when they could have. Yeah. So much abuse out there in the name of gaining popularity, notoriety, like you said, Don selling books. It's so prideful. It's serving mammon instead of God. Yeah. I think one of the things of when, when I've had people that push back on what I'm saying, <laughs> and, it, and it can get vicious. And as you all know, the main thing is, is that is just pointing back to the, the, the word of God, which I know that there will be people that say, well, you just believe it's the Father, Son and Holy Bible. And I find that statement so problematic because I want to say to those people, why do you take issue with scripture for you to make such a statement? You are the one that has an issue with scripture, not me. And the Holy Spirit is the one who authored scripture. That's right. So. I can't divorce the word from the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why these people are trying to do the same thing because they're making that distinction. And then there's no value in the the written word of God, but then there's such high value placed on the fresh word of God, the new manna that's coming forth that we have no clue. I mean, I have a clue that it's not coming from God. I mean, I could just the things that come out, they're contradicting scripture um, the things that they say and they're tickling ears. So, I mean, that's one of the things that I, when I, people respond to me about that and that are in the NAR and they're saying, well, you don't have the Holy spirit and you don't, uh, you don't, you don't know God and you're blaspheming the Holy spirit and you're a Pharisee. Then I always want to point them back. I always try to point them back to what you're saying, Doreen, back to the word of God. Well, what does scripture to say? Who were the Pharisees that's right. trying to get them to understand? Because, I would say nine times out of 10 in this movement, when you use the term Pharisee, and I used to use that term, you don't know what you're talking about. You yeah. have no clue what the, who the Pharisees were, what they did. You don't realize that actually the hyper charismatic movement is the one that looks more like Pharisees than the one pointing back to the word of God, because the Pharisees not only broke God's law and they knew God's law, but they added oral man-made traditions to the people and they placed more yokes and more burdens on people that they already couldn't they couldn't attain or they couldn't fulfill as sinful people. So the Pharisees look, in my opinion, are much more like the hyper charismatic movement and the new apostolic reformation than someone that's saying, go back to the gospel, go back to the word of God, put your trust in Christ, make sure that you understand God's word in context, fellowship with God through his word. You know, I don't understand why that's a problem, but apparently it is. And honestly, when people get upset about certain leaders being called out, you're touching someone's golden calf is what's yeah. happening. 
That's and they right. don't like that. They're, they have idolized that person and they, they are looking to that person for their source of, of revelation rather than the word of God itself. And that's a sad state to be in. And, and I also say to these people, you know, in love, you know, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, you need to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. So if you're offended by my use of the word of God, um, by the gospel, and and knowing that it's it's in the proper context, then you need to test yourself to make sure that you're even in the faith um, and that you need to take your walk with God seriously and to evaluate that. And I, and I say that in a loving way and knowing that I've, I, I've had to do that. I continue to have to do that and to make sure that what I'm believing is what, what God's word has established and to know that his word's sufficient. It's sufficient. That's right. Yeah, I think a lot of these folks who confront us, sadly, probably don't know their Bible. Yesterday, yeah. I got a letter yesterday from a woman who confronted me and said, well, God doesn't judge anyone. Why are you? Oh, and I'm, Yeah. And I'm sure and it gave me an opportunity to talk with her, though. It really opened the door and she listened to her, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so at, by the end of the conversation, she she understood. I felt like from what she was saying to me. Um, but I get a lot of, um, well, Jesus never judged anybody. He was just love. And that's what I used to believe. I don't know about you, Don, but I had this kind of view of Jesus as being this hippie teddy bear, you know, just do whatever you want, as long as you're happy and positive, follow your heart. And that's the kind of letters I get from people. They don't understand because they don't read the gospels, particularly where Jesus is calling out false teachers, you brood of viper, you son of the devil, you, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the cup is clean on the outside, but not the inside. He's Jesus was very confrontive, probably more than we are, honestly. Um, yeah. Because because he couldn't lie. He could not sin and lie. He had to tell the truth and confront people. And so when people, when you have that conversation and you show them scripture and you say, look what Jesus said, they'll they'll either respond by saying, well, the Bible's corrupt. Constantine put that in there. Or they will say, oh, okay, let me go pray about this. This is revelation to me. <laughs> and then pray that they do continue to read the Bible, particularly Jesus' words if they're misrepresenting him. Yeah, I'm very thankful coming out of this. I, I used to be, just as a side note, another thing when I respond to people, um, I used to be, I didn't realize it, I was a very arrogant and prideful person in this movement and not very not very kind, not very gentle, compassionate, uh, patient. And coming out of this and having to uh, converse with people that don't agree with me, um, the Lord has really helped me to recognize how to be gentle, how to be kind, how to be patient, when, when to, how to pick my battles. Um, Cause sometimes not everything needs a response to it. And some things I just say, okay, I have to leave that alone. There's some conversations I've engaged in and I have to walk away because I know that it's getting ready. It's unfruitful and I'm getting ready to cross into a sinful way of being angry um, and not in a righteous way, but I'm going to be angry and I'm going to say something that's not going to honor God. And I'm continuing to be reminded of that um, when I engage people or they engage me and thinking, I want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I'm not going to get that right all the time. And I know that I'm, and I can go before the throne of grace and repent for that. And God will help me the next time. Um, but that's something that I've learned in this, because in this movement, you're not taught to be gracious and kind and compassionate and gentle. You're taught to be abrasive, to be bold, to to um, 
you know, be assertive. And, and especially as a woman, you know, you're taught things that are just not biblical and how to conduct yourself. And so I've been learning when I have that pushback, learning when to speak, when not to speak and learning what God's word says, again, going back to what the word of God says, how I am to conduct myself, not about me being right all the time, but wanting to honor God in my conduct. Um, and so that that's something I've taken away when I've had that pushback from people that are that are saying things. And then there's times that I don't even respond because I think this is just not this is not fruitful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave this alone. I know that we're going to get into this in a minute, but in just a little bit here. But, you know, as I as I think about this, I I just think through two different categories. One is unjust criticism. That is, did the did the person say something that is biblically is it biblically true? and does it have any truth to it? Um, if it doesn't, that's unjust criticism. Or, or or if it's a personal attack, that's unjust criticism. Second, just criticism would be that criticism that is grounded in the word. And it does have a sound argument. It's spoken the truth and love. Some people, you know, they're going to end up being more truthful. Um, and they might not say it in love. But that doesn't mean that it's not still true. We have to think through these these two different categories. Um, and, and so I'm always thinking, is this, is this true or is it a personal attack? Does it have, did they engage with the content or do they just say whatever they wanted to say? Most of the time, what I see is unjust criticism, but that doesn't mean that I don't think about it. It doesn't mean I don't, um, you know, try to maybe even learn something from it. Um, it just means that I can. I can reject the unjust criticism, like you're saying, Don. Uh, Proverbs says it's the glory of man to overlook an offense. You know, so we don't have to, you know, necessarily re- we don't have to respond to that. And there's wisdom in knowing when to respond and knowing how to respond. And the Bible is, you know, sufficient there. Proverbs has so much to say. The New Testament has even more to say. And, you know, we could spend a long time talking about that and just thinking through that is is really helpful. And and it and it honestly, at the end of the day, like you said, if there there is just criticism, that's when you have to repent. You know, that's why we have one another to help one another. Um, I have many older guys that speak into my life and I'll take that to them and be like, do you think there's truth to this? Um, here's what was said. Or I'll ask my wife, do you think that's true? And and anybody who knows my wife and there's lots of people that, you know, would l- listen to the show locally that that know my wife, uh, she, she tells me <laughs> she, she is not my wife. God bless her is not mm-hmm. afraid yep. to tell me the truth. So in love, of course, mm-hmm. and, you know, talk through that. And so, uh, you know, th- those are two those are just two hopefully, you know, helpful categories that I personally use in my own life and ministry as I think through things as they come. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but no, that's just two things for me. No, I think that's good. I think that's a, that's a good approach to consider because we all, I mean, all of us have to realize we don't know everything and there's times that we have to step back and, and look and make sure that what we're saying is, is correct. And, and having a good spouse that's always willing to correct you is, is a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sarah, Sarah, I'm not picking on Sarah. She, she is great. She really is. She is really great. She is. Well, you know, uh, 
we all three of us have have spoken out about the deliverance ministry and um, as it relates to the NAR. What is most concerning about the current trend towards deliverance ministry and its effect on the church today? Well, I think it's it makes uh, a man-centered false gospel, first of all. It twists scripture. It takes um, Jesus's words to his disciples about go and cast out demons. And then the one man that was in the, the book of Luke, who John confronted because he wasn't one of them. And it makes it that we're still in the apostolic age. And, and it ignores the fact that the disciples could also raise the dead and heal the sick and such, and just focuses on that one so-called spiritual gift. And I, I just see a lot of pridefulness with this. And as someone who was hurt, because when I was first saved, I experienced to, that I was aware of spiritual warfare for the first time because I switched teams, obviously. I, I didn't know I was working for the devil um, before I was saved, but I was a child of the devil, like everyone unsaved is. And, and when I gave my life to Jesus, when I repented and became a born-again Christian, they, the devil was not happy. His demons were not happy. So I was all of a sudden completely oppressed for the first time consciously in my life, and I couldn't sleep. I, I had complete insomnia. I could just feel the presence of this. Um, people told me that witches who had previously followed me in the New Age, I wasn't a witch, but apparently they followed me, were now praying against me in their covens. And I, and I could sense that, um, just this sense of evil around me that was very disruptive. So in desperation, I reached out to some deliverance ministries. At first, it was online. And they would, I would listen to their audios and they would twist, uh, twist scripture. They would um, use the, the verse of, from Psalm about, uh, let, me, let me pull it up here, from Psalm 34, 7, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. <clears throat> and so they would use that. And of course, in the new age, I was all about angels, which I've repented for because it was, uh, you know, almost, it was angel worship. So when when they said, oh, we can help you, we can cast out witchcraft spells, we can cast out demons, um, I was listening to their audios 24-7 in the house. And 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 yet they would get I'd get relief temporarily, but then things would get worse. And so that today reminds me of Jesus's words in Matthew 12 and also in Luke 11, when he talks about um when an impure spirit spirit comes out of a person, it goes through and places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. Now, I was saved by the Holy Spirit in dwelling, and I don't think I was at all possessed. I think I was before I was saved, but I was definitely oppressed. And every time I would go to this deliverance ministry, things would calm down for a minute and then get worse. And so then I contacted a very famous, and I should add expensive, uh, deliverance minister. I don't know if that's the correct term he uses, but he's he's pretty well known and he holds a cross up and he he you know does I leave out of that person in Jesus' name with the cross and he does all these incantations and spells and and he supposedly cleans you out. And again, there was no 
relief for the spiritual warfare at all. Um, all that, the only effect was that I was poor because he charged a lot of money for this. And he told me I had to have these updates. I had to go to one of his minions and and have regular sessions to keep myself clean. And and so it really hurt me. It, it gave me false hope was the first thing. And it could have led me in, into hypercharismatic churches because that was kind of part of what they were doing. If not for the God, you know, the Lord intervening and pointing me to solid ministries, I was a part of this online group, the NAR recovery group. Um, and, and so in there I was learning and getting mentorship about what teachers to stay away from and learning about biblical truth. And then started watching Chris Rosebro's fighting for the faith. And that really helped me because I was following Jennifer LeClaire at the time too, as well as Joyce Meyer. And I thought I was going to become a prophetess. So I probably would have ended up on a Bethel stage were it not for God's intervention. And deliverance was a big part of that. It's really hooked into the rest of the deception and and is completely man-centered. So uh, it's one of the reasons I speak out so vehemently against deliverance ministry, because I see these vulnerable young babes in Christ coming out of the new age. And it's almost like lawyers waiting for ambulances. There's people parked on Instagram waiting for people to say, I left the new age and then saying, I can deliver the, the demons from you. Come see me because we go through such spiritual warfare coming out of the new age. And so they say, well, you know, come pay me and I'll cast out the demons. And then they're put in that pipeline of not only deliverance, but going into the hyper charismatic churches. So it's a big problem right now. Yeah. I'd say uh, one of the biggest things that stands out to me too, is that it's, it's legalistic and people don't even notice that, but there again, they're putting burdens on people and they're not being truthful with them. And they're not, they're, they're negating the gospel. They're negating sin. They're negating repentance. They're negating sanctification. They're negating all the biblical teachings. And they will say, they will hide under the guise of, and I've listened to a lot of these people. And I used to be part of the ministry and I did deliverance ministry uh, in the ministry I was in. And it, it just creates more bondage. It's not true deliverance, it's a bondage making scheme is what it is. But it, it's not encouraging biblically sound teaching of a true born-again believer, you understanding your justification before God, and then recognizing, okay, the battle, you are going to battle against the demonic, but your battle is not from within now as a born-again believer. Your battle is from without. And this is what scripture has to say about that. And you have hope. But in these deliverance ministries, it's a false hope. Because you're placing your hope in that in that individual to save you, to, to deliver you, barring the fact that they don't even understand what salvation means. It's deliverance. Like that, salvation is deliverance. It's the greatest deliverance that we'll ever have, but that's not enough. So then, you know, I, I can blame a demon for my anger issues or my lust issues or my rejection issues and, and the crazy things that they come up with. Um, Alexander Pagani, I just covered a book that he wrote several years ago. He teaches that that demons live in different parts of your body and that you're supposed to cast demons out of the different parts of your body, that they can house themselves because your your um, your body's a temple and that it, it has rooms in it. So he teaches that. And 
and Logos, uh, as a side note, Logos had him on re- or Logos, excuse me, Logos had him on recently to do a mm. webinar. I'm thinking, mm. what are you doing? This man mm. is, is not teaching biblical sound doctrine for crying out loud. Anyway, mm. sorry, that was a side note. But because uh, I like Logos, I use it, but it really upset me that they did that because I, they did a great disservice to people, in my opinion, doing that. Yes. Um, but these these deliverance ministers, regardless if they're sincere or not, they're in error because they're adding to the gospel, as you said, Doreen. They are making a, they are pr- presenting another gospel. And if you listen to some of them, they will say, "If you do not cast out demons, you are not presenting the gospel." Well, that's not the full gospel. I'm sorry, but the full gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Colossians 1, 13, 14. I had the promise of the redemption, the forgiveness of my sins. Um, Jesus nailed my sins to the cross. I don't have to worry about demons indwelling in me anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that we deny the existence of demons or Satan, but we recognize there is a great hope that we've been given and that we've been given, that we've been given victory through Christ and that we understand that while we're in this life, we're going to face hardships and difficulties. And some of those things are going to be demonically inspired that are going to try to attack us. But we walk in a way that we understand God's sovereignty. We trust him in his ways. We ask him to help us in our weaknesses. We believe that he is greater than any demonic entity. And I've fully believe that these these types of uh, things that are done, these practices, all they do is create more bondage in people. And it's not setting people free. It's giving a false security and it's leading people away from Christ. That's right. Yeah, it's, it is. And the Bible is so clear on what we are to do for spiritual warfare. And once Michael and I started following what the Bible said to do, the spiritual warfare, and of course, everyone has it as a Christian, this side of heaven, but it it so reduced it was just it almost went away so the bible tells us to submit to god resist the devil and he will flee okay submit to god what does that mean obedience repentance it means mortifying sin uh, it, he, the bible tells us to put on the armor of god and what does that include that includes being in god's word the bible study the bible tells us to be sober minded because the devil is is moving around like a lion waiting for someone, looking for someone to devour. And so to be on guard. And, and so if we follow what the Bible says, God's got this, you know, Jesus is the one who casts out demons, not us. So if we do have spiritual warfare, we should be praying for God's help with that, not trying to do it on our own. Demons are evil geniuses. I don't know why anyone would want to go one-on-one talking to a demon, even saying, get thee behind me, Satan. I, I can't imagine that someone would believe that would help. That's equivalent to the new age waving the, the, the sage wands around and thinking the demons are going to be afraid of the sage. You know, they're not afraid of us. <laughs> so go to God for help and saturate yourself in God's word. One of the things that we've really um, found in, helpful and enjoyable and edifying is Michael and I listen to one book of the Bible every night as we're falling asleep. We use the audiobooks. And and so that really has made a lot of peace in our home and helped us to you hear things when you listen to the audio of the Bible that you might not see when you're reading it. And so we do both. In the morning we read it and then at night we listen to it. And that has really helped to calm spiritual warfare, which seem seemed to have in our past happened when we were trying to sleep. Yeah. 
Uh, Don, that's that's really good. Um, you know, Don, you, you mentioned something that I think is worth even expanding on just a little bit. As I've read these books, you know, by Derek Prince, and as I'm looking more into this, one thing that I'm noticing is, you know, in Second Timothy, I'll say this first, in Second Timothy 2.15, we're commanded, commanded by God to rightly handle the word of God. That is to cut it literally straight. That's what Paul means. And what I'm seeing is, is that um, so they might get the principle, they might get the doctrine right, but then they misapply it. It's applied wrong. And that's when it's not just that we're to teach correctly the Bible. It's that we're to rightly apply the Bible. So what I do is with, with all these things, one of the things that I've done for years and years and years is I will just sit back. And I will watch a movement. And once I start seeing the fruit of that movement, I know right away, I can tell you right away, that is bad theology. And I'll be like, this is where this came from. And I'll know right away. But I'll just sit back and watch. You won't see me necessarily speak out against it. You'll see me sit back. And, and once I've seen the fruit of it, you're going to see me speak out against it. And it served me well because there's also wisdom in, you know, you know, you guys have a lot of experience, you know, coming out of during you out of the new age and Don, you out of the new apostolic reformation. But, you know, just from doing this now t over 20 years, I've just seen a lot of things. And so I always just try to be cautious and careful, but also measured and also, but also still speaking out against it. And so that, that kind of approach has uh, served me, you know, well, um, you know, some people are, a little bit quicker and I'm not judging them. I'm not, you know, saying, I'm just saying, you know, for me, um, that's what I do. And, but, but really that takes into the, the, the point of cutting it straight, not just understanding the doctrine, but also the right application of it and just looking and seeing, you know, those two things. So I just, I just wanted to draw that out from what you were saying, Don. Yeah. I, one of the things too, that strikes me in this, in the deliverance I hate use the word ministry because I really just don't believe it is. Um, but the deliverance uh, practices and teachings is that it just seems like a worse covenant. <laughs> I don't mm. understand how we live under a better covenant and we can now um, have demons as spirit-filled believers indwelling us. That doesn't sound like a better covenant. I thought Jesus came and brought a better covenant, which he's most certainly did. But I don't understand now looking now having the, the fog lift. Uh, and, and being able to see more clearly, I, these are things I think about. And I think, why are you saying these things as a deliverance minister and telling these people and then telling they need deliverance maintenance and, you know, all, and then assign some sort of spirit if you question them and stuff. That's another abusive tactic. But why? I thought this was a better covenant that Jesus, he is the better priest. He's a better prophet. He's the better king. According to Hebrews, he brought a better covenant for us. Redemption. Why are you making it worse? It sounds like a worse covenant. There's false prophecy. Now there's the, there's demons that can indwell. There's, um, you know, all these things that are happening now to born again believers and they're trying to make it they're trying to sell it like it's better but it's not it's worse and that should be another red flag of this is not lining up with scripture this is this is contradicting what scripture testifies of of christ for, for born again believers why do i need to be saved when i 
if if I can still have indwelling demons, why is the Holy Spirit not enough? Why would he cohabit with a demon in a born-again believer who is the temple of God? Why would he do that? He wouldn't. Right. He wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's the basic premise that we're seeing with these deliverance ministries. Dave and I recently did a expose on Derek Prince. And in the video I have on my channel, we have clips of Derek Prince and screenshots of his book, The War on Heaven, where he absolutely clearly says that he believes that some Christians can have the indwelling Holy Spirit plus another spirit, plus a demon. And he said that Satan gives it gets legal rights to yeah. possess a Christian if that Christian has unrepentant sin. So that basically means everybody, because everyone has some sin that they're not aware of. If you look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where your thoughts are sin. And so, you know, I, I go to the Lord every day, I'm sure you guys too, in repentance and repent mm-hmm. for what I don't know I did. Um, but that's that's a pretty heavy burden to put on people to say, if you don't repent for all your sins, Satan's got legal rights and he's going to go inside of you. And then you used a word, Don, that was the operative key word to me about these deliverance ministries. You say they sell this idea. And it really is a marketing scheme. Um, it reminds me of Simon the Sorcerer so much. And I only God knows if someone's saved, but I question whether these are saved people who are selling the service that is so unbiblical. And, I, you know, the Holy Spirit would be convicting a saved person saying, what are you doing? And pointing them to the word. So it's a, this is a big problem. It's with, if there's someone who's naive, newly saved, perhaps desperate for relief, and they're being told that, oh, you've got the, the demon of alcoholism, that's the problem, or your husband's cheating on you because he's got the demon of lust. So we need to cast it out of him. You know, they're they're being told that life problems can be fixed with a by paying for a deliverance session. And then these folks may not even go to um, the word. They might need to go to a doctor even for some of these issues or a support group. But instead, they're going to go to this deliverance minister who promises to fix everything. That's that is tickling ears. That's false hope, and that's wrong. I mean, the the thing that has shocked me about the response to that video. And I've told you this during the thing has shocked me to it's about the Derek Prince thing was people have elevate ha, are elevating him above the word of God. And they are claiming that he is a man of God. But then I just think, I just think about the fact that, you know, he maybe had some good teachings or whatever, but you look at the fruit. Look at the look at the the responses of these. I look at these responses, and it 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 as somebody who has done counseling with people for two decades, it it literally hurts my heart. It 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 really hurts me, and um a lot because you know you 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 see the response, and it's just heartbreak. It makes me want to cry because I I see the people that elevate. This man above who supposedly taught the Bible, and they have elevated him above the Word of God, and that is, um, you know, that has been the most shocking thing in in the response to this. You know, I've been I've I've been doing this um, interviews and stuff uh, podcast this podcast since 2015, and this is the most negative feedback I have ever gotten. 
in the history of this show. Yeah. And I and, got it too. Uh-huh. And I'm just, I just, I was just saying, you know, that, you know, it just, it's, it's shocking that somebody, they, they say that they're believing the Bible and they're, but, and yet at the same time, they're elevating this. And all Doreen and I did in, in an academic school, you know, when you go to school and you, your undergraduate, graduate degree, po- postgraduate, you know, you're, you're expected to present an argument and evidence for the thing. And, all that Doreen and I did was do exactly what would be accepted in any school in the country, community college, university, um, graduate, doctoral level. And, you know, it, it's we, we know that people are th- these people are in darkness. They're enslaved to sin. And that's the thing that's 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 not a thing to celebrate. It's not a thing to be happy about. It's it's something that should. It's something that should break our hearts, and it's something that um, uh, it's something that I'm going to keep speaking out about. I was just telling a good friend of mine; um, he's a well-known Christian leader. Today, we were texting before this. I said, "You know, just be praying for me. Um, I'm going to keep speaking out on these these things about the new age and this because it, it matters. It matters because it seems like none of my friends." that are that are talking none of, hardly anybody wants to talk about these things and i'm like these are the things that matter because these people are lost and they're dead in their trespasses and sins so get some men get some backbone on you and man up and speak up that's that that's just what i want to say i mean i'm not going to back down i know you guys aren't either and and it's not about me and you know a pride thing it's i'm concerned that people are lost and what jesus came to do in luke 19 10 is he came to seek and to save the lost and so if somebody wants to come and they want to you know malign me because i you know did exactly the very thing that they want to do and you know in school and present evidence and refute it biblically which is always going to be what i'm going to do um you know they can they can say whatever they want to and you know, I'm gonna go on my merry way, and I'm gonna keep praying for them and keep speaking. If somebody wants to present an argument and from Scripture and refute what I said, I'm gonna respond to that. Like I said earlier, unjust versus just criticism. And um, I, I really, I really would love to to hear Don from you on this. You know about how Christians should who are providing scriptural refutation evidence against the NAR deliverance ministry, you know, respond to these types of critiques from those in the New Apostolic Reformation. In your experience, you, you've been on both sides of this this aisle, so you know, I, I'm really, I'm really uh, would love to hear what you have to say on that. Well, I know, um, as I've said, it could be very difficult talking with people that are in this movement. Um, I'll just be frank. <laughs> with what I'm I'm going to say. And I and I say this in a loving way as someone who was um who was in this movement for nearly two decades of my life. I mean, that's all I knew was the word of faith and then morphing into new apostolic reformation and hyper charismatic. That's all I've ever known as far as church goes and until past several years. Talking with people that are in this movement is probably one of the most difficult things that I have that I have done as far as trying to converse with people when when we don't agree. And a lot of it is is a lot of spiritual blindness um, that's taking place. And I, I go back again to 
I don't want to come at, at that person the way that I that they are coming at me because I'm not going to glorify Christ in doing that. And I, I've I'm finding more and more that taking a humble approach yet firm and saying, well, I I value your opinion, but your opinion is not what scripture says. So help me understand why what you're saying, such as this whole legal, this legal rights thing, that's not in the Bible. So explain, help me understand why you're saying this, but scripture, this does not support what scripture says and try to engage them in a conversation as opposed to just ad hominem attacks or character assassinations um, trying to guide them back to the foundation of scripture and wanting to have that conversation with them and not being argumentative just so I can win. Because I I'm, I don't want to win an argument. I want to represent Christ. And I've had to walk away from conversations of going, I don't know what else to say. You know, that I'm not going to win uh, this argument with you. I just have to leave what I've said where it is and just trust God that he's going to work in you to help you to see and to go back to scripture to see what the truth is. Unfortunately, there is um, a lot of idolatry of man that takes place in this movement. And I did watch the video that y'all did, by the way. And I thought, well, this is really good. Nobody talks about Derek Prince. I was I was actually relieved to see that somebody was talking about Derek Prince because no one talks about that aspect of his teaching. The deliverance ministers, they they rave about it. I mean, you'll hear all of the, a lot of the modern ones, they'll, ref, they'll refer back to them and um, several of them, because I know he's considered one of the Fort Lauderdale Five. I remember doing some deliverance ministry study on it and the history of it. And Derek Prince was one of the Fort Lauderdale Five. And you hear about Wynn Worley and you hear about um, Frank Hammond, you know, Pigs in the Parlor, that's a really big book in the hyper-charismatic. I've covered that before. Unfortunately, I mean, in, when you're engaging with people that are in this, there's a lot of spiritual blindness is taking place. People don't want to hear it. They immediately get offended. And ironically, they're getting offended at someone that they look up to getting called into question, but they are not offended by the fact that Scripture has been misrepresented by these by these teachers. That is problematic to me. When you care more about a man who is, and we're all fallible, when a man, and maybe he did have good teachings, maybe Derek Prince did have some biblical teachings. Okay, well, this one is not good. And it's okay to call that into question. That's what scripture tells us to do. And if you, if someone has more of an issue, if they take more of an issue with a man or woman being called into question than they do the, about the word of God being represented properly, then that's that's reflecting on them of what they truly value. If we don't value the word of God in context, but we value the reputation of someone that we didn't know, but we love their books and we love their writings and they've just been put on this pedestal, then we've created an idol and that's sinful. That's a sinful practice to do such a thing. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question as, as thoroughly, but I, I'm finding that taking the approach of being humble and gentle, but firm at the same time and loving people enough to tell them the truth. That's what it comes down to is that loving people enough to tell them the truth and guide them back to the word of God, because we don't want to see more people deceived. No, you, you're definitely answering the, uh, the, the, the question for sure. And then some, I, I think that's really 
really, it's really helpful um, because that's what I see. I see, you know, this elevation of man above the Bible, uh, zero engagement with what was said, what was said, you know, what was said in the episode dealing with his actual words. It wasn't like we were engaging in a personal attack. Um, no, you know, I can, I can tell you right now, my, that would be one thing that I would immediately get rebuked by my wife on. It is never a personal attack. It is always an engagement with the person's ideas and with what they've said and, and what they mean. And the, then bringing the Bible we we fairly as Christians represent arguments and positions and and take great care when we're critiquing somebody's work to do that correctly and rightly as you are taught in school to do and then bring the bible to bear on those things and that was the thing that we did you know and so if somebody doesn't want to deal with the the biblical argument and then you know just respond and i and i to be honest, since we're going to be frank, we're all being frank here. What I saw was, is I just saw they they saw the title and yep. they immediately did not even watch the video. They didn't engage the content. Um, some people did, uh, but very, very few actually engaged the content of what was said. And so that's in my mind, that fault in my in my in this category of unjust criticism. That's exactly where that lane is. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, can I can I have done better explaining some things? Could you and I have done uh, done better explaining some things? I mean, that's true for everybody. You know, every time you open your mouth and speak, you can always and you think about it later. Um, you can always say some things a little bit better. And that's true for this episode. It's true for any of them. Um, it's true every time I preach as well. So, Dorian, what did you want to say? Uh, well, I got a letter from a man who was very offended because he was grateful for Derek Prince's teachings about sin. Because Derek Prince, I didn't put this video in, in the clip of my on my channel, but he goes down through a list of sins and is very confrontive about don't do this or the devil will have legal rights. And so this man had benefited from being confronted and apparently had walked away from some sin. Uh, and he he didn't want to hear any complaints about Derek Prince because of loyalty, because of gratitude. And it really struck me, it's very much like a cult, uh, where Derek Prince was maybe unintentionally a cult leader, but nonetheless is like that to these folks. One of the things that helped me when I was first saved, and I was in the, still am, in the NAR heresy group on Facebook, was seeing the associations of people I was following with people who I knew were false teachers. For instance, I've told you this before that when I was first saved, the born-again evangelical community of Christians was very standoffish with me. You know, oh, look, is she really saved? Is she not? And so they didn't really come and help me. They were more criticizing me. But the charismatic community embraced me. And so I was hanging out with charismatics in the beginning, not going to a charismatic church. I was at Calvary Chapel at the time. But nonetheless, my online friends were all charismatic. And they were following Todd White. And and so in the NAR heresy group, I saw that Todd White was associated with Benny Hinn. And I knew for a fact Benny Hinn was a false teacher, ipso facto. That helped me to stay away from Todd White. And so it's one of the reasons why I emphasized in the video on my channel that Derek Prince, as a Pentecostal, I don't think a lot of people realize he's a he was a Pentecostal preacher. He wasn't a Baptist, he wasn't 
you know, Methodist. He was Pentecostal. So he was charismatic. He said in this video clip that he, like all Pentecostals, embraced William Branham. Now, oh. William Branham is a he was a heretic. He was a modalist who said that God was one person who put on modes as the Son and the Holy Spirit. He 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 taught this spirit um, serpent spirit teaching that Eve's sin in the garden wasn't rebellion or disobedience. It was so she slept with the serpent, and that she begat these demons that brought sin into the and this crazy made up theology. And and so Derek Prince pointing to William Branham should be a deal breaker for anyone who cares about the Word of God. To me, that's enough. But then he goes into that Christians could be possessed, and you know we need to walk away from him. So it's not one of those spit out the bones and eat the meat type of situations. This is really dangerous teachings he's got here. And I know that he has some solid teachings, but a lot of people who are false teachers occasionally, like a clock, is right twice a day. It's, we need to mark and avoid them, though. Yep. It's like it's like his teaching on Matthew 6, uh, 14 through 15. You know, he says, you know, Jesus says, if you forgive others, you know, you won't be forgiven. And then Derek takes that principle and then he develops the legal rights, you know, theory from that. Correct. Uh, you know, in insofar as the doc misapplied mis and mi misapplied doctrine is is how I I would say that because you know as as you said earlier, Don, you know Colossians two thirteen, you know Jesus was you know, Jesus was nailed to the cross, you know he canceled the record of our of our debts, and so we have forgiveness, and so we don't need to go through a in in one of his books that Doreen and I covered in the episode, and I'll, and I'll put this on the screen um as well so that you can see it and I'll, he makes it one he gives a step he gives steps of honesty and you know renunciation confession and then the last step is salvation you know his conditions for the 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 patient he would say that the deliverance ministers to engage and so you know the legal rights the 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 whole premise of that making a step to salvation, it, that's not forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is not about a step, because it's not something that we deserve or merit. It is, you know, only by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's the only way that we can know we're saved is is by Christ alone. So, it's uh, it's very it's very concerning. Uh, it takes a lot of of understanding. Yes, the 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 exact doctrine, and then asking yourself, what does this mean? And then how is it being applied? And I think that's the that's the issue. You have some people who would read this and they would think that sounds good, but then it's misapplied. It's misapplied. And that shows a misinterpretation of the particular thing. And that is that's what's so hard about, you know, especially with Derek Prince is he he sounds so good and so enticing, but he's doing exactly what Paul said in Second Timothy 4 itching people's ears, giving them enough. Like I was talking to my wife about this. What did, what did, what did, uh, this is the same kind of thing that, um, you know, Satan did to Eve in the garden that, that, that was done to, you know, Jesus in the desert in Matthew four, um, you know, give them enough, but then, okay, so here's, here's the verse, but it's totally misapplied. And 
So then, then it it's a misinterpretation. You know, it it's just, you know, any anybody want to anybody have any thoughts on that or did I? Well, I think speaking for John, probably we both agree with you and appreciative of your boldness because, as you said, not a lot of ministries are going after. You you might say Derek Prince is obscure, but he had a tremendous ripple effect that's still going on today with people like Greg Locke. And yep. and so it's it's probably growing uh, with the advent of his movie and social media. Um, and we're on the unpopular side, speaking out against deliverance. I, every, uh, practically every day, people tell me they disagree with this, including some pretty famous people who are evangelicals. But I, I was so hurt by deliverance ministry that I'm not backing down. And I love, I just want to put a plug in for Pastor Jim Osman. His videos and his book, mm-hmm. uh, Truth or Territory, are must-reads, in addition to, of course, the Bible. Uh, he really breaks down what is going on with spiritual warfare. And he's a big, he speaks out very clearly and boldly also about deliverance. Praise the Lord, we need to have him on too. Very <laughs> articulate you. like you. That would be yeah. a good conversation. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the thing is, is, is my thing is, is, you know, it's not a, it's not a pride thing to speak out. It's not a, it's, it's, a, it's a genuine concern for people. It's like, that's the reason I talk about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. It's why I talk about unbiblical forms of, you know, sexuality. It's the same motivation, guys. It's the same reason why I talk about those things that I talk about this. And so, you know, it's not that I enjoy that. It's not, but it's because, you know, it's because of a love for, for the Lord. And it's a concern that it, the truth of scripture, Jesus, Jesus brought this truth of scripture to bear on people's lives. And when he did that, you see what happened. You know, they, they did not like that. (laughs) The Jewish leaders did not like that. And he did it again and again and again in the gospels. And that's, that's why they ended up killing him. I'm not saying I'm going to get killed. Lord willing, hopefully not. But you know what? I I counted the cost. I'm I'm uh, the worst that can happen to me is I go to be with the Lord. That's that's the worst for a Christian who's been born again, adopted, justified, and all all the, the whole nine yards. That's that's the worst that can happen. And at the end of the day, that should give us even more reason and more motivation for the honor and the glory and the beauty and the majesty of our King. I mean, come on, let's, let's get, let's get busy and let's speak up. So, well, just, just wrapping you this up, um, Don, Doreen, do you have any final takeaways for us? Just um, Bible before breakfast, word before world, or for some people, they only have time to read at night, but daily being in God's word is non-optional. It is absolutely essential. The world seems to be getting darker and darker as Jesus promised, and we need God's word more than ever. We need Jesus more than ever. So don't let anything distract you from God's word. Don't don't get pulled into myths and philosophies. Stay in God's word. Yeah, I have to echo that. <laughs> Just abiding in the word of God, being a, a, a Jesus said that his true disciples would abide in his word. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free, is what he told those who just the Jews that believed in him. Um so those of us who are truly walking with Christ, we have to abide in his word. 
We have to be willing to um, study his word, be a good Berean of the word. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. A good leader, a good pastor is going to welcome you. Our pastor tells us, if there's something that I say that's that's questionable or it's not lining up with scripture, come to me and, and say something. And that's what a good leader does. That's what a good shepherd does. So you need to stay, you, for those listening, you are going to be accountable to God for your understanding of scripture. You can't just profess to be a believer and then not read his word. That's part of obeying God is to stay in his word and know what it says and that fellowship with him. We are going to be accountable for our understanding of his word and obeying it. And that's not in a legalistic way. That's that's just part of being a believer. We are to obey God. We can't obey unless we know what his word says. So we can't just be spoon-fed um, by, by someone else just on once a week. We need to spend daily, like Dorian said, stay in the word. And you have no excuse to not be in the word. You have audio Bibles now, like she was talking about. You you have your lunch breaks. You're in the car. Whenever you get a chance, take that time to spend time in his word. Look for Christ in the word. Don't look for yourself. Don't try to continue to find yourself in the word all the time. Look for Christ. See how you can and, and ask God to call his word to your remembrance so that you can have it written on your hearts and that you will follow him in his ways and that you'll glorify him in every aspect of your life. I mean, I'm reminded of that in in this movement, in the NAR, there's such a focus on you having a microphone, um, you having a platform, you having a branding your name and you being well known. I'm becoming more and more content with making sure that I'm a godly wife and a godly mother. Because if I'm not doing those two things, then me holding a microphone and this platform and a YouTube channel, and it's, 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 worthless. If if I don't serve God in such a way that I'm serving my husband and serving my children and 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 leading and leading my children in the ways of the Lord and that means reading the word to them and helping them understand the gospel, then all this other all this other stuff's done in vain. Those that are listening that you've been a part of this movement and that is such a huge temptation for you, stay in the word and and be content in being a disciple and not having having to have a platform and not being known by man, be known by God. That's what matters. Amen. I just want to say as well, unrelated to those points, but I just want to say publicly, I'm thankful for a godly wife, thankful for a wife who loves me. We she, we have sat many times in our in our in our house talking about these things in the last couple months and you know I can tell you, Sarah has helped me, and um, on these matters, and I'm I'm just deeply grateful for a godly wife. So I just want to uh, thank you both for joining us uh, today. Uh, it's a blessing. I'm thankful for both of you. Thank you for continuing to speak out on these things, and uh, look forward to having you both on again here soon. Until next time, guys. Thank you, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's an honor and joy to be with both of you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, 
You can find us on Twitter, at Servants of Grace, on Instagram, at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org. 